0: Welcome to the podcast of WISER, Women in Surgery at the Emory Residencies, where we share the careers and life stories of Emory surgeons across all specialties to recognize the diverse achievements happening right here at our own institution. I'm Vivian Wang, a general surgery resident starting her PGY-5 year, and I'm here with Caroline Coleman, a third-year Emory medical student. This is our first spotlight interview of Wiser, and today we have the pleasure of talking with Dr. Barbara Pettit, who is currently the Director of Medical Student Education for the Department of Surgery here at Emory.
1: Since joining the Department of Surgery in 1985, Dr. Pettit has served as Chief of Surgery at Hughes Spalding Children's Hospital, Chief of Pediatric Surgical Services for the Grady Health System, and Director of Education for the Emory Endosurgery Unit. So to kick things off, what first got you interested in medicine, and why did you become a physician? (laughs)
2: When I was four, no offense to the nurses who might be listening to this, I wanted to be a nurse. But then I found out that doctors gave the orders. So then I decided I should be a doctor.
1: What was your path to
2: medical school? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to undergrad? We moved around a lot when I was a kid. I was born in Niagara Falls, New York. And when I was three, we moved to Pennsylvania. Then we moved back to New York. When I was nine, we finally moved to California. And that's mostly where I spent the last part of elementary and middle school and high school. And I got a full ride to a very small college in Iowa. And I finished college in three years. I was paying for it myself. So I thought I would lop off a year and try to get to medical school, which I did. I went to medical school. I was 20 years old when I graduated college and started medical school. So I was one of the younger people in the class. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't even drink legally. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty hilarious.
0: And then where did you go after that?
2: Well, I thought I, I thought when I first started medical school that I wanted to be a family practitioner. But then I hit my surgery clerkship, and I loved it. I just totally loved just being hands-on. I mean, the same reason everybody goes into surgery. I loved being hands-on. I loved loved moving around a lot, you know, just being able to, you know, be in the OR and then make rounds and then be in a clinic. So I went to Los Angeles County Hospital for five years as a general surgery resident, and then I took a year off. I was burned out. It was hard. It was like being at Grady for five years with no hours. (laughs) And I had I married my husband the last year of my residency so we went to Philadelphia and I had this year to do whatever I wanted with. So I did some moonlighting and I went to the Philadelphia College of Performing Arts as a voice major. It was amazing because I was at the time 29, had finished this really pretty grueling residency and I was in class with 18 and 19 year olds for the first three or four months they didn't know what I did. They didn't know my background. I think my voice teacher told somebody that I was a doctor. And so after that, I was everybody's mother superior. Um, Oh my gosh. It was, it was pretty amazing. Um, They would come up to me in the library and sit across from me and whisper things like, Barb, Barb, how do you know if you have like gonorrhea?
1: (laughs) The questions began. (laughs) Oh yes.
2: Oh yes. They were so, they were so cute. (laughs)
1: Throughout this whole process, starting in medical school, through your residency and then into your fellowship, you must have been one of the few, maybe only female surgeons throughout this time. How did you navigate that? What was that experience like?
2: Um, I was one of two women in my residency class, or, no, or, or my whole residency, not just my class. I was the only woman in my class. And at L.A. County at that time, there were 12 interns, six of whom were, there was no um, categorical preliminary kind of designations at that time. So, LA County took 12 interns and what they tried to do was take six that were going into general surgery and six that were going into some other thing. But inevitably there were always more people applying for general surgery than there were spots and it was the only time there was cut in the in the program. After that, it was six every year. So, the residents told me, "Oh, you're you're not gonna have a problem. You're fine. You want to like the top interns in the cl- in the class. You're gonna be fine," and I wasn't so sure because we had a really tough, really tough chief. And um, one day, maybe a couple of weeks before we were all supposed to in- interview with the chief, the people there were nine of us that wanted to go into gen Surge, So three of us were not gonna get in. And um, the only other woman in the program was two years ahead of me. For some reason, they would never put us on the same service together. I thought that they maybe they thought that would, too much estrogen would like you know be you know somehow bad or something. But they never put us on the same service together. So I didn't know Pam that well. I knew she seemed pretty nice. She was always pretty nice to me when I was on intern call. And um, she asked me one day if we could have lunch. So we did. Now here's a woman who is an MD-PhD, really bright. Um, she had a kid, which her, she had her child in medical school, which was extraordinarily unusual back then. And she, her, child, her, was a, her daughter was six years old and was having some trouble in school. And she wanted to let me know that she was gonna ask the chief for six months leave so she could kind of be with her daughter and figure out what was going on because she was really having a lot of trouble. And she knew that the chief would be angry about it. And what she was afraid of why she was talking to me, even though we barely knew each other, was she was afraid that the chief wouldn't take me into the program because he would be so angry with her that he would just say, no more women in the program. And And she was really, really concerned about this. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is very sad that she has to worry about me, who she doesn't even know, not getting a position because she wants to take off six months and take care of her kid. And she said, the chief is going to think I don't want to come back, and that's not the case. I just need this time with Lauren. So I went in for my interview with the chief. Now, the history behind this is that there, prior to Pam, there had only been one woman who graduated from the residency at L.A. County, and that was in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. This was 1976. There was a nun apparently several years before Pam that Dr. Rosoff took, thinking, well, you know, a nun can't have much else, <laughs> you know, know to God. do. She won't be having children. She won't be getting married. So, you know, he thought she was a sure bet. But apparently, after a couple of years, she went back to the convent, and you know, broke his pointed little heart again. So. Anyway, I went in for my interview and um, I sat down at the chair across the chief in front of his desk and he didn't say hello, he didn't say how are you, how are things going, he said nothing and I sat down, he just kind of pointed to the chair and the first, thing, the first words out of his mouth were, why should I take you into this residency program when every other woman I've taken has failed? And I wasn't quite sure how to answer that. (laughs) I mean, you know. So I looked at him, and I thought, well, I don't know. I didn't say anything for a second. And then I said, because I'm good. You know, what else is there to say (laughs) to a question like that? And then he just sort of laughed and went on with the interview, and obviously he took me. And Pam came back after her six months. But he didn't take another woman for two years. So back then,
0: and you've (coughs) talked about this a little bit before, discrimination was not used to label inappropriate treatment between men and women like we use it today, and really wasn't a thing anyone talked about. Can you give us some examples of things you experienced or had people say?
2: You were always aware that you couldn't get angry like the male residents did because it would be seen as being bitchy. On the other hand, you did have to assert your authority. What I tried to do was make sure that the nurses were on my side and they were, bless them. Uh, I was in the operating room one day for a hernia repair and I was the the chief resident and so I was doing the case and I'm standing at the bedside. I I came in right after the patient was taken in because I didn't want to be accused of being one of those surgeons that held up the case. And so I'm standing at the bedside and the circulating nurse is kind of running around the the OR. And this anesthesia resident is literally ignoring me. He said to the the circulating nurse a couple of times, where is the surgeon? The circulating nurse looked at me and I looked at her and I winked. And she just said, well, the surgeon's actually here. She's standing right next to you. (laughs) He said, oh, oh, he didn't even apologize. He just... Put the tube in and we did the case. But it was stuff like that, you know, being mistaken for a nurse I'll constantly, constantly. Yeah. You know. Was it hard
0: on the interview trails, getting into residency or fellowship? Did you have anyone make comments or ask you questions?
2: It was interesting. My own chief in pediatric surgery told me: if anybody asks you if you want to get pregnant, say no. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> So what you do now
0: is obviously a lot different than what you were doing back then. Uh Can you tell us about, you
2: know, getting a job and then how you ended up here where you are today? Yeah. I went to Grady as the pediatric surgeon there, and when I started having my kids, that's when I came back to Grady two days a week. I just didn't want to work 80 hours a week anymore, which is what I had been doing at Eggleston when I first came here. They didn't kind of know what to do with a part-time surgeon. They didn't know what to pay me, so, um, and I just had no idea what they should pay me either, so it was kind of lowball. But I was happy because I got the rest of the days off to be home with, at then, my child, and pretty soon, my children. Um, initially, I was very guilty about it. I thought, oh my God, you're wasting all that training. You're only working two days a week. You know, somebody else is taking call, and you're not taking any call. But I would always tell myself, you know what? If you're honest with yourself, your partners can take calls from Grady and probably take care of a baby there just fine and probably just as good as you, but only, only you can nurse this baby. I had women tell me before I went into surgery, don't go into it, you'll never be able to do it. You'll never be able to have a family. You'll never be happy.
1: What has your transition been to get into medical education now?
2: I love to teach, and I love to teach novices. That's my specialty. I really love the light bulb that went on in an intern space when they actually got to do something, and they, they got it. They got how to do something, you know. Do you miss operating at all? No, I had a good time while I did it, but I love doing what I'm doing now. I love the medical students. I love education. I love counseling them and watching them go through all the stages. It's really fun. I love it.
1: Do you ever meet a medical student that you feel should go into surgery, but maybe they're hesitant, and how do you address that?
2: I never, ever, ever try to convince somebody to go into surgery, even if I think they should. If I think that they're good material for surgery, I'll tell them that. But I won't try to convince them. They have to make that decision for themselves, because the residency is still hard. And the atten- being an attending in surgery, it's still hard. What I don't like is when people say to students, if there's anything else you like, do it. Don't do surgery, it's really hard. On the face of it, that's a true statement. If you like something else besides surgery, do it. I mean, you know, do what you're passionate about. But the way that's usually said is more in a sort of a, I'm right in the middle of residency and this is really hard and I'm dying. And if you can find anything else to do, don't do this. And so I try to tell students, yeah, residency is hard, but um, I think the idea that it's impossible to have a life and be a surgeon is not the truth anymore.
1: This brings us to our, our parting questions. In life beyond surgery, what are your hobbies and interests?
2: Well, I sing. I love photography. I like to have parties. I like to be with people. I have, you know, I have a good church group, and I like to volunteer. I, might, I would like to take ballroom dancing lessons
1: again. Either within or beyond work, what accomplishment have you been the most proud of?
2: My children. No, absolutely no comparison. I wanted them to be wonderful human beings that were friends with each other, and they are. Nobody turned out to be an ax killer. <laughs> um, but other than that, just just being able to touch people. Some people want to do great things like be the president or be the chair or, you know, have a title. My philosophy about life is that you just make the world better kind of one little chunk at a time. You plant a garden, you counsel a student, you be nice to somebody, and and being satisfied that that is enough.
0: Last but not least, what advice would you give to young surgeons today?
2: Don't settle less for anything than what you truly want and take time off when you need it. It's a it's an intense profession. It takes a lot out of you and sometimes you just need to say to yourself I need a couple of months. I need some time. Not just you know coming home and sitting with a cup of tea for an hour. I need actual time and you know when you're looking for a job make sure it's a job with people that you like that are like-minded where if you have a kid it doesn't come as a big shock I think your generation will be much better at that than ours was. I really do. But I think it's because there are more women.
0: Well, Dr. Pettit, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today. I don't know how relevant it is, but yeah. No, this was great, and we really appreciate it, and we hope we get
2: to talk to you more in the future. Yeah. Bye.
0: Thanks for tuning in to today's Wiser podcast. Hope you join us next time for another great interview.